Welcome to the Culture Revolution with Culture Connects. Please join us in a series of guests as we explore the future of all things culture. If you're interested in being on the show, please send an email to podcast at cultureconnects.com. And now, without further ado, your host and favorite culture geek, Lena Graves. Hello, friends. Lena here with Culture Connects. I have the pleasure to welcome my guest today, David Shar, founder of Illuminate PMC. David is a fellow culture enthusiast and also extremely passionate about helping people be the best that they can be at work and helping organizations with uh, their workplace culture. So I'll turn it over to you, David, so you can uh, dive a little deeper into your background, what you do, uh, what you're doing today with your organization, and I'll let you take it from here. Hi, Lena. Thank you so much for having me on here today. You know, they say you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I've, I've always made that um, my mantra in life, and that's why I latched on Delina. She is a culture guru. Um, so I'm, I'm super honored to be on here today. Um, yeah, so I have an organization called Illuminate PMC, um, where I speak across the country and beyond, and I consult with companies to help them um, with their culture. Specifically, I focus on preventing burnout and building meaningful work. Um, I think if we can do those two things, then, then we can really engage people and change uh, the face of work. That's, that's what I do. That's awesome. And I mean, think about burnout, right? During times of any time, but during times of crisis, it's so easy for this to become a prevalent thing all over different organizations because everybody's running around trying to figure it out what this new normal looks like for all of us and i think that it's so important that organizations take the time to really understand what it takes to maintain your workforce engaged uh, but also that they are being productive with of trying to avoid that burnout that um, creates people to slow down and to not be able to be um, to be as productive as they want to be so that's awesome thank Absolutely. you for joining me today um, so let's just get right into workplace culture. Obviously, you and I are extremely passionate about this, and uh, we try, we will try not to make this podcast go on for hours like every other <laughs> conversation that we have. Uh, but I wanted to dive right into culture and just feel free to share as much as you have. Let's start talking about how did you get into uh, culture and specifically your work on burnout and, and the meaningfulness? Cool, so I have a, a very um, interesting backstory. So it all started with ice cream for me. So <laughs> I, um, I owned a small ice cream franchise in Baltimore City and um, all of my crew members just happened to come from uh, what unfortunately many people think of as Baltimore City. Anybody who's seen The Wire knows what I'm talking right, about. Right. Some of the, some of the uh, rougher neighborhoods, the projects, the inner city of Baltimore City, that's where most of my crew members came from. Um, and so I, I really was, was intrigued with, with leading this group of people and over time started realizing that they seemed super engaged that I didn't have the turnover that other organizations seemed to have. I didn't have the theft. I didn't have the interpersonal conflict. 
people would show up to work when they weren't scheduled to work and I'd have to shoot them away from helping customers. Like this was how insanely engaged these people were. And so um, that's what got me um, hooked on, on culture and on leadership and what work could be for us. Because here I had these underprivileged minimum wage workers who couldn't wait to get into work every day and found meaning in their work and were so passionate about it. And how many doctors and lawyers and accountants and other professionals did I know who dreaded every Monday? They dreaded going back to work. And these people were having an objectively um, impact, like uh, objectively a, a huge impact on the world, you know, through their job as a doctor, like as a physician saving lives, right. but they couldn't connect with that deeper meaning on a daily basis. But these kids were able to connect with it through scooping ice cream. Uh, so that led me to sort of reverse engineer this thing and, and, and really explore what was going on. What was different about these kids? What was different about this organization? So that's very interesting because I think that quite often people correlate happiness or success or somebody's engagement and ability to do something based on the level of position that you have. You know, the idea is that if you're a doctor or a lawyer or if you're a CEO or whatever high level position that that automatically uh, relates to success. And I think that it here with the example that you're sharing, it just, it it truly proves the fact that that's not necessarily the case and that you can be successful and you can be engaged and you can love what you do and you can have passion for what you do and you can find that meaningfulness into every single thing that you do regardless of what that might be. So uh, tell us a little bit about how, how do you feel like you got to that point? Because the group of people that you were hiring were very similar, same group of people, same pool of candidates that other people around you were hiring in, in retail spaces. And the same group of people that other uh, leaders and other organizations are saying, we just can't keep them. We have high turnover. They're not engaged. They don't like it. They, they're going to steal from me or whatever the case may be. And somehow you managed to be able to bring this group of people and have them be extremely engaged, love what they do, and really show the fact that the work that they were doing was meaningful as well and that they were serving others in, in whichever way they thought they were. So how do you think you accomplished that? Yeah, so when I took a look at what I, I had sort of stumbled into, and really I mean stumbled into, I think, I think I was able to do this because I knew so little, because I was so ignorant. Um, I was not a very good business person, right? a good business owner, a good entrepreneur. So I didn't know I wasn't supposed to trust a 16-year-old <laughs> girl from the projects with a key to the restaurant on her 16th birthday. But right. the blessing was that neither did she. She didn't know I wasn't supposed to trust her with the key either. And so because I showed her that trust, because I had faith in this individual, she rose to that challenge and had faith in herself. And I think that part of what really engages people specifically was that they weren't finding that, that level of respect, um, that level of, of that, that um, sense of being valued. They weren't right. finding that anywhere else. In their, their schools had failed them. Their, their homes had failed them. The streets had failed them. I had one guy who every, every once in a while, was like every couple of weeks, he'd be walking to work. 
um, in this upper middle class neighborhood in Baltimore City. And he was a young black man. And he would come into work late and have a note from the police that he had been stopped for a citizen's interview on his way into work. So wow. when, specifically when you're, when, you're, when you're growing up with such low expectations and where nobody's putting that trust in, and then you find it at work, I think that that can have an insane impact. And it did on, the, on, these, on these kids and young adults. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's not about the industry. Like you said, it's not about that it's only these people in these really important jobs or these people that make this salary every year or whatever, or it, it goes across the spectrum. And yeah. what, what's so interesting is when you look at burnout, the people that burn out the worst, the highest percentage of people burning out are in the helping professions. So right. you're talking about nurses, as, as you know, right? Yeah. From your background, you're talking about people within, within uh, the nursing industry, within assisted living facilities, um, uh, lawyers, people with objectively meaningful occupations. Those are the ones who are burning out more, not less. And so the question is why? And I, and I think it comes down to one, the individual and their mindset, but two, and, and perhaps way more importantly, it comes down to the culture of the organization. And that starts at the top. Absolutely. I, I love that because I think it really shows the fact that your focus on culture, no matter what type of business you run, whether it's healthcare, whether it's service industry, whether it's retail, any type of business, the culture of your organization is going to shape who those individuals are and who they become to their peers and also to your customers, which is critically important. When you have that passion, when you have that love, when you have that connection with your employer, you naturally, by default, you want to do better for that person. You want to do better for that company. You want to do better for those customers. And so whether you're the ice cream person, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer, whether you're the person at, at, the, at the grocery store cashing out people, it's meaningful if the organization truly drives the fact that their work is meaningful and you really give each individual the importance that they deserve regardless of what job, what job the person has. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's just such an impactful message. Uh, as you know, I, I'm a huge uh, fan of Simon Sinek, and it reminds me of one of the videos that I watch with him where he says people are idolizing titles and uh, salaries and those types of things. So the, the conversation was about somebody with an important job and, you know, people coming over to offer them a um, cup of coffee and, you know, a special space and whatnot. And then uh, having another person who's not the CEO or the, or the person with the important job, perhaps a janitor or housekeeping or somebody in, in that same position and how the outcome of that would have been different because most people would have completely ignored the fact that this person was there, even though they may have been sitting in the same seat or conducting a, a similar interview. Um, and it really, really points out the fact that we quite often uh, fail to acknowledge people and we acknowledge titles and salaries and what people do. And, and so I think that from a cultural perspective, and this is obviously something that is hugely important to me, from a culture perspective, 
you have to give the importance to every single individual within your organization, to every single job, because they all have a huge impact on everything that you do day in and day out. And if you do that and you treat 100% of your employee population with the same level of respect and kindness and dignity uh, and compassion, then you are going to receive the same back. And, and that's when I always say, I don't do titles. I could care about the title. When I approach a person, I'm not, I'm not asking them what they do. I just, you know, I just want to know about them as a person. Who are you? And, and more importantly, what can I do for you? And when you take that different approach, you could definitely get that level of engagement that you were talking about um, at the ice cream store. So it, it, it played out really well for you because you learn how to do this really well. And I think that, you know, we could say that, you know, you as the owner of the store, were the leader uh, in, in this whole situation, but it sounds like you learned a lot from the people that you were working with. Yeah, absolutely. So I always say that, that the, the um, experience was, was hopefully very, um, was hopefully transformational for my crew, but, but there's no way it was transformational for anybody as much as it was for me. Um, we, we definitely learned from each other and I learned the value of work um, and of leadership and of community and of all of these different things and of resilience um, from, from these kids. And, and I, I agree with you. And we've, we've had these conversations offline before, you and I, about, about the fact that so many of us dismiss um, people based on title or based yeah. on status. And, and the truth is, you never, you never know somebody's circumstances today. You never know what their circumstances are going to be tomorrow. Um, I once had a, back at the ice cream store, I had this guy who was trying to sell me advertising. And he was, he was badgering me. And I'm, okay, finally, he pushes me into it. Okay, I'll, I'll sign. So I told him, come on, we'll do the contract. We'll, we'll get this done. And so he comes over to the store and um, like he was there like 20 minutes later, like he shot over. This was a big, a big contract for him. And um, my, my uh, just a regular crew member was up front and was prepared to help him with his ice cream. And he said, no, no, I'm here to see the owner. And she tried to, you know, um, uh, like just chit chat with him or whatever. And he had no patience for her whatsoever and was completely rude. Um, just completely rude. So to the, to the point where she then came to the back and got me and said, there's somebody here. He's really rude. I don't know what's going on, but this guy is not nice, but he wants to talk to you. He says he has an appointment with you or something. I said, sure, let me talk to him. So I came up and I come out and right away, David, how yeah, are you? Suddenly he's the nicest, most affable guy in the world. And I said to him, you know what? We're not going to be doing business today. And he said, what do you mean? He said, we had a deal. You said, come over. You said, and I said, yeah, but I only do business with people um, who have the same values as me. And one of those values is that we treat everyone with respect. And uh, he walked out and he lost a big contract because of it. So I, I, think, I think you never know who you're talking to. And you should always talk to everybody as if they're your next big client. Just to show utter respect for everybody. 100%. It reminds me of uh, the Undercover Boss show, right? <laughs> Where you can see 
how, you know, some of the people, you know, this individual comes in pretending to be somebody else and some of the people treat them very nice and very kind and they're teaching them and they're, you know, being patient and all of this other stuff. They have no idea this person is the CEO. And then you have those others who are really annoyed by the whole situation and just have no patience. And, uh, and it just really shows that the minute that person takes off that mask and they are whoever they truly are, whether it's a CEO or not, uh, just how people change. And so it really shows those who are truly committed to that level of respect and treating people with, with dignity and with compassion, those people are always going to be committed to that mission, no matter who the individual is. And um, right. I love that, that's a great example. And you know, and you know, in a strong culture, everyone is the undercover boss because everybody's got that mission in mind. I I once had an employee, he wore these grills, you know, like on his teeth and everything, like the shiny golden teeth and whatever. And um he, he looked like he looked like a guy that might know where the drugs were, I guess, because <laughs> I had a applicant um that came in, we did these big group interviews. I had an applicant come in. And she was amazing. I wanted to hire her on the spot. And um, this, this guy, Jerome, who had worked for me for forever, he came up to me and said, hey, man, she asked me if I knew where she could get some drugs. So I don't know <laughs> about that. And so he narked her out. And right. she um, obviously didn't get the job. So, but, but in a strong culture, everybody takes ownership. Jerome didn't want somebody like that working in his establishment. And it was his establishment as much as it would ever be mine. And maybe even more because he spent so many hours there on the front lines. I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, okay. So let's talk about burnout a little bit. Cause I know that you just mentioned the, uh, the importance of, understanding and knowing. So why don't you tell us in your in your own words, what is burnout and how do you think burnout is affecting people during this COVID-19 crisis? Because there is normal burnout and there is burnout 2.0 where we all had to learn how to do a bunch of stuff overnight and we're just exhausted. Right. Yeah. I would say, I think that we are experiencing burnout at, at um, ridiculous epidemic or pandemic levels, right? Um, right now. And I think, I think there's two things going on. Organizations where they haven't really dealt with burnout in the past, given the circumstances that have been flung on us, are now working up against burnout. But also organizations that maybe didn't have the strongest culture before. Their, their employees are now home and having the opportunity to pause and think and think through their own values and that and, and their own priorities right now. And that might be a scary thing for these organizations because yeah. these people might be looking for a, for a switch. And, and I think, I wonder if you've seen the same thing as me. I've seen a, a bunch of people start opening up their own uh, consultancies and their own businesses now, and everybody's becoming an entrepreneur now. Um, and and that's, that's because they, they're reflecting on what they had and realizing it might not have been as valuable as they thought it was perhaps. Um, but what is burnout? Burnout is, has three legs to it. Emotional exhaustion, depersonalization or cynicism, and a lack of personal accomplishment. So really what it is, is that you get so overwhelmed um, with the work. But recent research suggests that it's not the work, the actual work that you're paid to do. It's not the, it's not the task. 
if you're if you're a nurse you don't burn out because oh my god i'm treating too many patients i'm saving too many lives that doesn't burn you out what actually exhausts you are all the boundaries the barriers that are thrown up in front of you the interpersonal conflict the uh the barriers in terms of written and unwritten um policies and mores and things like that that are embedded in the culture and in policy that stand in the way of you doing the job that you are there to do. And I right. think that that is why you see people in the most meaningful jobs end up becoming the ones who are so burnt out because they're there for a reason. They're not just there for a paycheck. And then they get there and, they're, and their hands are, they're handcuffed, right? It's like, it's like every, uh, all these Teach for America people who go out and they yeah. go into the inner city schools and they're ready and they've seen all these movies so they know they're going to walk in, they're going to be the coolest teacher these people have ever seen and not only are they going to teach them math but they're going to teach them ballroom dancing, right? <laughs> like like right. they know this is going to be like one of, those, one of those movies and they made so many of them. Um, but then the realities um, start, start um, showing up where, where um, the principals start to, like discouraging creativity in the classroom and they need to teach to the test and, and we're going to judge you based on these metrics and, and you can't save everyone and all of these, all of these uh, barriers start being put up in front of you. And um, that is the core, the crux of burnout which then gives way to people um, having increased feelings of cynicism toward their job and beyond, um, and also feeling like they're just uh, spinning the wheels and nothing's happening. They, they have this lack of, of uh, personal accomplishment. But I, I really think that that emotional exhaustion piece is key because that's the piece that a, that a leader, that an HR leader, that, that, uh, that a business owner, an executive, or a frontline manager, they can tweak these pieces. They can serve their people. They can figure out ways. They can look at all their policies and figure out why is this in place. You know, we see this with um, with telework, right? right? So telework, everybody's been nope, no telework, no telework. I love <laughs> this. I love this story of this guy who's in town for this for this wedding, and he goes to the local synagogue for this big wedding celebration, and everybody's dancing in a big circle. I grew up Orthodox Jewish, so I know like the the way we dance is we hold hands and walk in a circle. It's really exciting. So <laughs> so the, but but at this particular wedding the guy sees that every time people get to a certain point on the dance floor, they dip their body and then raise their body back up and continue going around the circle. And he thinks this is so curious because that's one heck of a move for, for something like this. So he asked the guy standing next to him, he says, why is everybody dipping in that spot? And the guy says, um, I don't know. It's be, we've always done it that way. You got to ask the rabbi. So he asks the rabbi. The rabbi doesn't know. So he finds the oldest member of the synagogue and says, how come everybody dips at that one point on the dance floor? And he's waiting for this answer that's going to blow his mind. <laughs> and the old guy looks at him and he says, oh, that? There used to be a chandelier there. So <laughs> how many, it's like, it's like in biology, we talk about vestigial structures, right? Our wisdom teeth have no, no purpose nowadays because we've evolved. And yet they still come in and it causes us so much pain that we've got to go get expensive surgeries and right. And so how many vestigial structures are in your policies? Right. How many policies do you have that are like, don't work from home. We work in the office. 
Why? Because the technology, the infrastructure was never there. So of course we used to have to come to the office to work right. every single day. But now it is. Now we have internet. We have we have mobile phones, smartphones with a with a ridiculous computing power right in your pocket, right? Yeah. So why are we still requiring it? Because there used to be a chandelier there. And if that's the best answer you can come up with, then maybe it's time to start eliminating those policies so that they won't stand in the way and, and exhaust your people. Let them yeah. do the work that they're to do and let them do it in, their, in the way they want to do it as, as best that they can. That's, uh, that's amazing. And I, I love the reference because you can, see, you can truly see this happening right now, right? And you, know, you talked about HR professionals. And so HR professionals are feeling a bit of a burnout right now, right? Because they're, we're all over the place trying to understand new employment laws that were developed overnight. And by the time you got done reading the first paragraph, it already completely changed. It became something different. And I actually... Uh, as you know, I coach a lot of young HR professionals and I help people um, in their HR careers. And that was one of the questions that keep coming back to me. They keep saying, I'm burnt out. I don't even know if I want to do HR anymore. And that just kind of broke my heart because, you know, I'm passionate about what I do. Yeah. And I was trying to get to the bottom of it. And the bottom of it, it was that they were burning themselves with this idea that they had to learn all this new stuff overnight and that they were so afraid of making a mistake or not doing something right or whatever the case may be. And then I said, who cares? Who cares? We're in the middle of a crisis. I'm not worried about, it took me a while to even figure out what FCRA stood for. Like I knew in the back of my head what it meant, but I'm like, I'm not going to worry about the each letter, what it represents, because that's not meaningful work. The meaningful work is how can you, as the HR leader, be there for your people? And when it comes down to having to rely on the technicality of something, then go find it. We can't Google it. It's not, you know what I mean? It's, we don't have to burn ourselves with the crazy stuff that's out there because that's really not causing meaningful work. The meaningful work is coming when you are actually helping your people and when you're making sure that people are feeling respected and that the organization is being transparent with them and that we are communicating with them in a proper manner. They don't care if we know how many days are allowed under the FCRAO. They don't care if we, how much we learn about the PPP loans. They, you know, they, they just really don't. And the, the stuff that we need to know and we need to have that knowledge, but at the end of the day, I always call it uh, the invisible work. It needs to be the invisible work and it doesn't need to be what, the, what we burn ourselves with because we often create also our own burnout. And you know, I know this is huge in our HR profession because people are really worried about knowing every employment law there ever was. Right. Uh, even if they don't apply anymore. And that's what I always said. I'm like, I don't care about this anymore. If <laughs> when I was studying for my, for my exams, I'm like, I'm like, why would I care to know? I mean, it's nice to know the history, but I'm not going to make myself crazy with it. What benefit is this going to bring today? And so to your point that chandelier, uh, if it's not there anymore, then take it out of the equation because it's no longer uh, relevant. And uh, that's a very good example to share about burnout because I think that I think that's happening all over the place. And I use the HR example as one of them, but it, it does happen all over the place. And sometimes even us as HR people are the ones who have those policies out there that we know make no sense whatsoever. But yeah, you know, if you call out three times, even though we know that it was beyond your control, we have to fire you because the policy says we do, but really do we? I mean, could, you know, could we explore 
the fact that it's a different world right now and that, I mean, how often would an employee come to us and say, I have to come in late because of the childcare issue would have been like, too bad, so sad. We're going to mark you for attendance because you're showing up two hours late. And then here we come in the world of COVID-19 and we said, listen, we know you got to homeschool your kids. Just sign on to your computer whenever you can, because we know you have other stuff to do. And it's just, you know, it, it brings that flexibility. So I think that um, we, we're all learning a ton of stuff from this and we're all learning all the things that we are able to do that we thought to be impossible before. Right. And you bring up a great point in terms of there is a resource out there for these things, you know, yeah. thank, thank God for sure. Right. The yes. Society for Human Resource Management is there. And so you open the app and you've got the answers right there for you. And, and what often will lead to burnout is a lack of resources. When you tell somebody to sweep the, the, the um, facility and you don't give them a, a broom, that's when people start burning out. So it's not about needing all that knowledge, although there's safety in that. I think people feel safe in that and they start worrying. I think that, it, that, that there's a piece of us that's always worried that we are becoming the chandelier, right? right. So if now that, that we can get all of our answers from Siri, um, what if <laughs> I'm now the chandelier? What if, what if my job is, is becoming irrelevant? Right. And so, and so we cling on to it, right. It's informational power, right. right. So we, we cling on to information and we don't share it and we hold it real tight so that, that, um, our job is now secure and our place in the politics of the company is now secure. And that's obviously unhealthy. And, mm -hmm. and, and instead we need to pivot to where is this going? And you and I have also talked about this, where is HR going? Right. And it's becoming less about, we sort of became, um, a, another face for legal within, mm -hmm. within, um, uh, within uh, organizations. And, and it's kind of silly because they, they have to go to a lot more school than we do for that. <laughs> you know? we, we are not lawyers, most of us. And so, and, and we think we, we started, are. Right, we started playing that role and things are shifting a little bit and they yeah. should. And the focus on culture should become greater and greater. And that's the, that's the role that we need to play, as you say, all the time. And, and so it's about pivoting, pivoting um, to that. But in the meantime, we need to know whatever we need to know about mm -hmm. uh, FMLA, whatever, right? Yeah. We need to know these things, but they're, they're right there. You know, yeah. pull it up on the SHRM website. You've got your answers. That's, uh, you know, I said that so many times to so many individuals. Uh, your value comes from the relationships that you build with people and your emphasis and your focus on culture and on bringing the best possible out of people. Um, anything that anybody can Google just becomes that, right? And we can Google everything. I mean, we truly can. Anybody can go to the Department of Labor and find every little piece of detail Clearly, we've learned I'm not minimizing the importance of the knowledge because I'm a bookworm. I like to know my stuff. But I, that's, this is why I call it invisible because then the culture part of it is what will make you unique. And particularly as an HR person or as a leader for any organization, that piece of it, that, that focus on people, that desire to create the best possible work environment that you can create for people, that's really the stuff that no one else can take from you, right? That's really the stuff that no one can Google. You know, how do I, you know, how do I become the best leader? You know, you'll find some ideas, but it all comes within in your ability to 
be genuine and sincere about that. And so uh, really, it, it's, it's hugely important that we focus our attention on where this is going as it relates to culture. And I think that brings up uh, to our next question, because the level of stress and all of the things that this crisis has caused for so many different people in different ways, then, then we can talk about resilience, right? What, ha what happens to that? We thought we were resilient, right? We were like, oh, we got this, you know, we deal with very difficult times. And then COVID-19 came in and just shook our entire worlds upside down. And not just for a group of us, it's for everybody, right? Everybody dealing with the same crisis in a little bit of a different way. So how important do you think resilience is right now? So it's, it's interesting. As individuals, on an individual level, resilience is so important. And like I saw with my, with my ice cream crew, um, their resilience took them so far. Um, you know, as family members were killed, jailed, um, you know, there were, there were horrible, horrible things in their lives, being able to bounce back from that and be stronger than that and find the positive in their life was, was invaluable. However, there were, there were other people doing the same, that, were, that may have had the same ability to, to do that, but they didn't have the, the structure around them to support them in that, right? And right. so I think, that, I think that that's the thing. So in the burnout space, whenever you hear about a burnout training, burnout training typically, burnout prevention training typically means we bring all of our employees together and we teach them how to be resilient right? We do this resiliency training. What does that mean? Basically, what we're saying is we as an organization are going to abuse the heck out of you and continue to abuse you, <laughs> but we're going to teach you how to take it, right? right. I mean, if there, isn't, if there isn't a case of victim blaming here, I don't know what is. It's, instead, we need to acknowledge our role in the stress, right? And our ability to our role in creating the stress for our employees and our ability to, um, to decrease that stress and, and engage them. So resilience is so important on an individual level. And I, I was talking about the difference between resilience and, and culture um, when, when combating burnout. And somebody said to me, well, um, Dave, what about, the, uh, what about this, this uh, employee that I have who, is going through her second bout of chemo and lost a parent recently. And, and I said, yes, of course, that is incredibly difficult and horrible. And, and I'm not trying to discount the challenges in people's lives. COVID-19 um, uh, produced a billion challenges for all of us, right? We're right. all struggling. But imagine if we as organizations could do something so that we start from a lower level of struggle and a lower level of stress, and then COVID-19 hits versus someplace that already has all these barriers in place and already all this interpersonal conflict and bad bosses and all these things. Right. Already your stress levels are up here and then COVID-19 hits. Imagine that. So right. I don't think we can discount either of them, but um, Maslach, Christina Maslach, the, the founder basically of, um, of burnout theory, uh, has argued many times that we put too much of a focus on resilience and not enough focus on culture and what we can do to impact and, and, and decrease stress to begin with and right. not put all of, that, all of that burden on the individuals. So yeah. um, going through COVID-19, there are lots of people out there that are helping 
um, individuals overcome the stress and become more resilient. And I'm not knocking that. That is so important. But as organizations, this is also the moment in time when we should be looking at how we can serve our employees better. What can we do to support them greater than we've ever supported them during these difficult times? And then continue that in what everyone is calling the new normal that we don't know what that's gonna look like. We, we don't know what it means. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great um, view on that. And as you were talking, I was thinking about as it relates to resilience and culture and, and going back to the HR profession and to the leaders really at this point in time, because clearly from a leadership perspective, uh, those of us who are focused on culture and people and making sure that our people are taken care of, we are also feeling the pressure and the burnout and the fact that, you know, I'm here for all these people, but who's here for me. And so I think that one of the things that I wanted to say uh, to, uh, to leaders of different organizations is be there for each other too, because I know, like, I'm usually a person who is rarely faced by many things. I'm just, I'm just like, it is what it is. We'll deal with it. We'll overcome it. And I always jump into action. And I have to tell you, this really knock me off my feet. I'm like, I had to change so many different strategies so quickly. And of course, being a full-time employee at the same time as I'm being a full-time entrepreneur, at the same time as I'm being a full-time parent and homeschooling my children and being at home and not being able to do the things that we normally do, it just, it shook me quite a bit. And then, you know, my natural reaction is being there for people. How can I help people during this crisis and how could I be there for them? And I think emotionally it was, you know, it was taking a toll on me because then I forgot about me, right? I forgot about the fact that I also need to talk these things through with other people and share my different levels of stress and how I'm feeling and the pressure and the burnout and the, you know, all of those other things by being there for so many people in such a short period of time as we all had to, to do. So I think it's important for leaders to also know that it is okay to be vulnerable. It is okay to also feel a little bit of the burnout and it is okay to seek others to help you, whether it's within your own peer group or, or however, or reaching out to people like yourself, like myself, to say, listen, you know, we're here for our people. Yes, culture is one of the most important things we have going on here in our company. But at the end of the day, I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know what direction to go. I don't know what else to do. I've done everything that I can do. And I just hit, I just hit a brick wall. Uh, and I think it's important for people to know that there are resources out there, that there are people out there uh, to help you navigate through those things. Because sometimes when you have to do so much so quickly, you just run out of ideas. And, uh, and then you feel like, okay, I'm not doing enough for people. And then, and, and then the more that you feel that burnout yourself, the harder that it gets for you to be able to be there for others. Yeah, I, you know, within, within burnout theory, we talk about um, coworker support, um, uh, supervisor support, family support, all of these types of support are so important. And there's and, and two types of support in terms of emotional support and instrumental support. So the yeah. support of being there for each other and helping each other through tasks and with advice and, and, and helping each other with the actual task at hand is so important. But yeah. also being there just emotionally to listen is, mm -hmm. is equally important. 
And, and these things have been shown to decrease burnout. They've, they've been shown to increase feelings of meaningful work. And in fact, support the, uh, the support that, that is clo most closely related to um, meaningful work is not even receiving support, it's giving support. So being, yeah. men, being, a, mentee, being a mentee is important, is, is perhaps, uh, is very important, but being a mentor is perhaps even more important. Right. Yeah. So and so I throughout this, everybody should seek out mentors and mentees at the same mm -hmm. time and also support groups. I think the first um, uh, peer reviewed um, article on on burnout was published in like 1964. And one of the core takeaways was to find a social group of your peers to find support from that social group. In 1964, we knew this. And it changed in that regard. Um, and that's why organizations like SHRM are so important and why Culture Connects is so important, right? What you're doing in terms of building community around um, HR and, and beyond, the people that, that, are, that are culture conscious and trying to, trying to impact others, those types of people need support because they're, they're giving, giving, giving. And what we know right. about meaningfulness is that it's a balance between giving and receiving. It's, it's a balance between um, the self and the other. And, right. so, and so in these types of groups, like Culture Connects, like SHRM, like all these other groups that get together, it's really about the give and take. And there's value in that exchange. Amazing. I love it. I love it. And I think this leads to, um, to our last question. Um, and as usual, you know, and I can go, <laughs> can go on forever. This is why I said we got we got to have uh, just a handful of questions because I know we'll go on. But uh, what do you think that business leaders, employers, and HR professionals can, can do to help reduce burnout and lessen stress for people during these crazy times? I mean, during any time, but right now, everybody's stressing about so many different things. So what can we all do as leaders to help people during this time? Yeah, so there's a great model out there called the demand control support model. So what this argues is that burnout can be directly attributed to increases in demand, decrease in a sense of control, and a decrease in support, right? And when we look at what's happening in the world right now, we see that demand is at record levels because uh, our jobs have changed. Like you said, for HR, trying to figure out all these new laws and policies and it's overwhelming, right? Emotionally exhausting, somebody might yeah. even say, right? And so we have this, this massive increase in demand, um, and this is true in every industry. People who are in sales trying to figure out how to sell in the new normal. People in, right. in purchasing trying to figure out how to purchase in the new normal. I work with a lot of event planners trying to figure out, okay, are we going to have an in-person event? Are we going to go <laughs> virtual? Are we going to have some sort of combination of the two? Um, or should we push it off, reschedule? Right? So everybody has this increase in demand, and we all very clearly have this sense of a lack, uh, a loss of control, right? right? And and this loss of control, this this um, this loss of control that we have is um, which which is like learned helplessness, right? So right. learned helplessness is this concept that um, where we start losing the feeling of control over our own destiny, and when that starts happening, we start we start um, it leads directly to things like depression. 
um, and, and leads you down a really bad path because if we can't control our own destiny, then what is all this about, right? And so right. when we're looking at politicians and talking heads on the TV and they're contradicting themselves, let alone each other, but contradicting themselves within a, a two minute span and a two minute time of like a clip, it's, it's really, it, it's overwhelming how much that, that uh, can, can lead to a lack of control for us, right? Over yeah. our own destiny. And then the support piece we talked about where now we're sort of pulled back and we have this virtual connection, but, but we're missing so much of our regular connection. So what can people do? They can tap into those three. They can look at their policy and get rid of those vestigial structures. They can get rid of those vestigial policies, those chandeliers. They can, they can start, they can start um, uh, removing some of those obstacles um, and, and really helping their people um, uh, in, in this, whatever this is that we're in the middle of. Um, in terms of control, we need to give people autonomy, give them a voice, reach out to them, uh, take their input, give them a sense of control, uh, communicate, over communicate, be transparent on everything that you can be transparent about. That gives people a sense of control. Um, and then, and then support, reach out those organic sort of passing somebody in the office and saying, Oh, by the way, how's your mom? Those don't happen organically. Now you have to pick up the phone, jump on a zoom, leave some, uh, a few minutes before the business call to ask them about how things are going and to show interest in their life and them as a, as a whole human and give them that emotional support. Uh, so I think, I think in a nutshell, that's where you got to tackle. I love it. I think, I think that's great. I think the importance of uh, not allowing this particular situation to uh, let you lose touch with people uh, is critically important. I know we have the tools. I mean, we have right now, clearly more than ever, and God knows what, what's going to look like 10, 20 years from now, but right now, more than ever, we have all the tools to continue, but the difference is right now we have to be intentional. We're not, to your point, we're not going to run into our coworker um, on the hallway to ask those questions about how is your family doing and how are you guys dealing with this and, you know, what's going on. So we have to schedule the Zooms and the FaceTimes and whatever, uh, all the different tools that we have, and we have to be very intentional about that. I, and I think that's, uh, I always like to end this conversations on a positive note. And I think that's a very good way to end it. Just encouraging people to not allow the current crisis and the current inability for all of us to be together in the same room to keep us from truly being together. I think we've learned how to be together while we're not physically present. Um, I'm one of those people that is, ex I'm extremely social and I like to be around people. So, you know, I live for my Zooms because <laughs> I, right. <laughs> I just got to see people and I got a chicken, but, I, but we have the ability. I mean, this, even though it's never a good time for a pandemic, we have the ability to connect with the people that we care about professionally and personally uh, during this crisis. And we have to be very intentional about keeping that on. David, thank you so much for joining me today. It is always my pleasure. I thank really you. appreciate our conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I love this. Uh, it's like every other conversation we have just with microphones in front of us. <laughs> we, could, we could record every one of them and it would all be awesome. Thanks everyone for listening today. David Shar with Illuminate PMC and Lena Graves here with Culture Connects. If you are interested in joining the podcast and being one of the guests, please send an email to podcast at cultureconnects.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks.
Thank you for tuning in to The Culture Revolution. Please join us next time as we continue our mission of exploring the unique perspectives of culture. If you want to join us on our next episode, please send an email to podcast at cultureconnects.com.